Hello, welcome to The Publicist Speaks. Here today is me, of course, Jessica, the podcast guru or whatever it is that I call myself. But I am so excited about today's guest. Today we have Gail Brandeis and we are going to talk about a book that sucked me in in one line. One line. The very first line of this book and it just, I was in it. So Gail is here today to talk to me about the many restless concerns, a testimony, the victims of Countess Bathory speak in chorus. Hi, Gail. Hi, Jessica. Thank you so much for having me today. I, no, thank you, because like you are the very first guest that asked to be on my show. So (laughs) I am honored and very excited to talk to you about this wonderful book. Uh, I am so honored to talk to you. Thank you so much for having me. It's really a treat. Uh, I am very excited. I am going to read for our listeners the line that sucked me into this book right off the bat. Countess Ezrabet Bathory of Hungary was found guilty of killing as many as 650 girls and women between the years of 1585 and 1609. I was so excited. <laughs> just first page, first sentence. And I'm like, oh, cool. I'm just going to sit here and read this for the next three hours until I finish it. But then I had to drive and it wasn't, I couldn't do all of it. <laughs> but oh, man. So tell me, tell me about all of it. Tell me everything. Sure. Um, I hadn't heard about Countess Bathory until it was... About a little over 10 years ago, my daughter was a teenager at the time, and she was really fascinated by notorious women of history. And so she asked me to purchase all of these various books about women pirates and various notorious women. And she had asked for this one kind of anthology about different historical women who had, you know, been um, world shakers in some way or another. Mm-hmm. And I was just thumbing through this book and happened upon a similar sentence to the one that that (laughs) you just quoted. And it sucked me right in. I had no idea Bathory existed. Some people say she is the model for Count Dracula, um, that she was the inspiration for that story. And I couldn't stop thinking about not really her, but the girls and women she had killed. Right. And, you know, the the great numbers of them and all of these silenced voices. Mm-hmm. And I found myself really haunted by the idea of these lives that had ended way too soon and way too violently. And I started looking into her story and found that there was much written about her, often in kind of a titillating way. Right. Um, but but very little written about her victims. And I started feeling like they needed justice and their voices needed to be heard, their stories needed to be told. And I started digging more deeply into the time period, thinking that maybe I would write just a small series of poems in their voices. Mm -hmm. Um, But they just kept wanting to come through me. And so I... um, I embarked upon this project, which changed a lot um, in its various drafts. And Mm -hmm. I was actually pregnant with my youngest child when I started writing this. Oh, goodness. And 
it started to feel like maybe this wasn't the right project to be working on while I was pregnant. Just yeah, <laughs> because, I can see that. You know, just, yeah, just all the, the murder and torture and, and you know, both reading and writing about it. It just felt like you know, kind of an unsavory thing to be doing while pregnant. Mm-hmm. And so I set it aside. And then my mom um, took her own life when the baby was one week old. Oh, goodness. And that was, you know, of course, so Un- intense. Yeah, and, I cannot imagine. Yeah, just horrific. And and I, I knew I needed to write about that. So I, my writing life was taken up with writing a memoir about my mom and her suicide and our relationship. And once I finished that, which it came out a few years ago, The Art of Misdiagnosis, mm-hmm. um, I felt really kind of empty as a writer. And that book felt like the book that I had most needed to write in my whole life. It was the book I was born to write, it felt like. And I thought, how will any writing ever feel as urgent, ever feel as necessary, ever feel as meaningful? And I worried it that I would never write again, even though I've been writing since I was four and writing <laughs> has been at the very core of my life yeah, and has helped me, you know, understand the world and understand myself. And then I remembered these ghost girls and women killed by Countess Bathory, who I had set to the side several years before. And I opened up those files and they pulled me right back in. And I started feeling that same urgency um, to write their story, which I'm so grateful for. It felt like like really the right project to return to after my memoir. Yeah. Um, I was ready to write about something other than my own life. <laughs> and I think having been so immersed in the story of my own grief, it was writing about a grief that was larger than my own. And that felt um, liberating in a way and also felt important for me to do. And the rest of the book um, kind of came tumbling out after that. Well, first, firstly, I have so much love for you and your, your tiny baby that had to go through that with you. That is something that is Nobody should have to go through that, but it's so important that people still talk about it. So thank you for sharing that with me and with our audience. If this is what came out of that, that is insanely magical. And I agree that it is very important to share because victims of such crimes like this and such painful experiences do tend to lose their voices a lot. And I think that having people talk about it, especially in the way that you give them voices. And it is so important and so magical. So thank you thank for you. giving them voices. Um, oh, thank you. I felt like I didn't have a choice in a way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they just um, needed to come out. Yeah, and even though, you know, they're centuries old voices, I hope they still speak to today and you know, the fact that violence is still enacted against girls and women in horrific numbers. And you know, my my dearest wish is to to use this historical story to shed light on, you know, the epidemic of missing and murdered indigenous women and other missing and murdered women of color and um, just a reminder that 
that voices are being silenced now. And it's so important to tell their stories, to tell their names if we know them. Of course. Because it's when we when we tell these stories, that's I think when things can start to change. Absolutely. We can start to to really um, create justice if we break silences. And it's so hard in our day and age that we're still having to battle um, women and girls being sold for whatever reason and being treated and acted as property, just like you talk about in your book, how there were in the in one of the stories you talk about, there is this girl who is very good with making things with her hands um, Mm -hmm. and but isn't necessarily good at the traditional female arts. Uh, and how she ends up being taken away and is battling her own problems and her own struggles because she's afraid that she's going to die because she doesn't have a use. And I mean, she's not wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's It was shocking um, reading these stories just to to see how little value these girls and women had in the world in which they lived, which unfortunately is still relevant today in, yeah. in, on our globe. Um, and that some of these girls were sold for a piece of clothing. A skirt. Know, to their parents. That was so and, touching. Um, yeah, it's just, it's just heartbreaking. And I wanted to, to give these girls and women some power back and, their voices do grow in power over the course of the book. book, I know it's a really, it's such a painful book in a lot of ways, but my hope is that in the end, it's a hopeful one an inspiring one because of the agency they find together. I'm only about halfway through and I'm already empowered. I I just finished a part, the part where, um, one of the women talks about how if we had the if they had the same unity in life that they do now, it would have maybe maybe pe- less people would have died. Yes, and that just kind of hits home in a way where in our day and age we're not really connected. We think that we're connected, but it's all superficial. But and so now it just makes me think like pull everybody closer because if we were all together and if we could all speak in the same way and Mm -hmm. come together how maybe something would be different. Yes. And I do see, even though, you know, so much of social media is so superficial, I think through movements like me too and times up and stuff like that, there are ways women are gathering voice together to, to grow in power together. And I think, you know, it's really exciting and, um, inspiring and empowering to see how when voices rise up together and share stories and break silences, um, the the cultural story can start to change. That is all we can hope for. We're yes. all trying together. It's everybody's fight. I mean, it's yes. been, this book is set from 1500. So that's, you know, 500 years ago, and we're still having the same problems. Unfortunately, yeah. So hopefully social media does, and social media and these movements like like you were speaking of, finally start to make a difference or at least make people aware so that we're all talking about it now. Yes. And I, I see, you know, images of women taking to the streets around the world to protest 
femicide mm-hmm. um, in various ways. And there's, um, oh, I can't remember the name of the group, but there's this wonderful feminist group in France that um, maybe it's called Femina or it's something like that, um, that they do a lot of topless protests en masse. And there was one that they did a few months ago that I thought was so powerful where everyone was painted kind of in gray makeup, body makeup. Mm -hmm. And um, each of them represented a woman who had been killed, uh, mostly by a domestic partner. Uh And they held up signs that said things like, you know, I didn't want to die or I was next. Um, uh, And just seeing all those bodies on the street, you know, these women walking, representing women who had been silenced, just gave me the chills and made me so grateful for such creative actions that that, that can of... help shed light in the way that I'm hoping to with my book. But they're doing it out on the streets. Yeah, but I mean, I think it's incredible. Uh, the, the avant-garde nature of that kind of art and that kind of protest is insanely, it, it reaches people that you don't really, and you don't really notice it. So people will be like, like we are now talking about it and speaking of it because I hadn't heard that. But then when you started talking about it, I, I also remember seeing it going across social media and seeing the the gray body paint and the yeah. different signs for different things. And here we are talking about it. And it's things like that and things like your book where it's taking a tragedy and spinning it in a way that is going to be received differently. Mm-hmm. And I, I applaud you and I applaud the women in France and all of the other people in the world who are making a stand and doing something different to make people see something. Thank you. Yeah, I think if we can take our pain, whether it's personal or historical or societal and transform it into art or some other creative action, um, it's such a healing experience for those who who do that. I know that writing my memoir and writing this book were both very healing for me. And then, you know, hopefully it can lead toward wider healing. And I, um, you know, I've been so grateful that I've received such moving emails and letters from people who've read my memoir, um, just saying that because I shared my story, they felt that they could share their story too. And they had maybe been in a family where they were told not to talk about suicide or suicide loss because mm-hmm. it would bring shame upon the family, which is, you know, ridiculous because I think it's not talking about it that creates a sense of shame. I think, you know, talking about it can help release shame. Um, but it meant so much to me that telling my story, which was really scary to do, even as necessary as it felt, um, that it opened the door for others to tell their stories that meant the world to me. I think that that's also very true in a whole bunch of different ways. Opening up about one thing gives the door, being one person being courageous opens the door for other people to be courageous. And I think that it is very important that there are people who are brave as you are to share their stories and to give voices to people who were silenced. That helps other people around them be like, okay, well, maybe I don't have to be quiet. Maybe I can share this. Maybe I can get help. Maybe it's okay to talk about this now. It's not a shame. It's not a shameful thing. Yeah, definitely. And I know that I I found so much courage in the stories of others who were brave enough to share their truths. And, 
you know, people like um, Lydia Yuknovich or Roxane Gay or Audre Lorde, um, who, you know, speak about their own lives with such honesty and power. And their their bravery definitely gave me permission to tell my own story. So I'm just passing along what I have been given. And I think that I think that you in this book, especially are definitely sharing that. I definitely feel that. Um, Thank you. Of course. I do. I'm very intrigued about the, um, the stylized nature of this book, how you are sharing voices, like you're switching voices between each poem and going back and forth, but also telling a thorough story. How did you end up, how did that become this book? Um, I just tried to listen to how the book wanted to be, mm-hmm. and it eventually told me its own form. Um, when I started writing it, I was writing all poems that headline breaks, and that felt right at the time, but then I decided, no, it needs to be prose poems, and so I rewrote everything into prose poems, and then that didn't feel quite right, and I ultimately kind of landed on a hybrid of the two. Mm-hmm. Cer- certain ones wanted line breaks, certain ones didn't. Certain ones wanted to be told in a choral voice, so all the ghosts speaking together, creating you know the the power of of the collective we voice. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, but I also wanted you know individual voices to rise out of that chorus, so we could get a sense of you know, the stakes of the, the individual lives that were lost yeah, and feel the impact of that. Um, so it was really, you know, a lot of trial and error and playing around with it and just listening to the work and what it wanted to be. And eventually it, it ended up where it is. And I'm sure, you know, if I saw the manuscript in front of me, I would keep tinkering with it. Of but... course, always. It's never finished. <laughs> yeah. But it got to the point where it felt whole to me. Good. It felt like... Um, yeah, like it, it had found a shape that felt um, it felt satisfying to me. I'm I'm not sure I've ever read a novel in poetry. So and I mean, I could be wrong because I've read books that I don't even remember that I've read. Uh-huh. Yeah, <laughs> um, but this one is speaking to me on a deeper level because it is something that I'm very interested in. I have for my entire life been interested in notorious people in general and the crazy and insane things that people got away with and still get away with yeah um and I have a very specific interest in this time period I I um am involved in a historical recreation group and and we do everything pre-1650 and before So this is something, (laughs) this is something that like I'm sitting and I'm reading it and I'm like, oh yeah, this is normal. This is just everything that, (laughs) that would happen. It would just be a regular Tuesday in, you know, the 16th century. So. Oh, that's, I love that you do that. (laughs) Yeah. In my, in my, in my abundance of free time, I find, I find, find hobbies that just suck me in, but especially Reading, I, I share the same interest as your daughter did in women who were not your typical fairy tale woman. So mm-hmm. this is about a, a woman who is a countess, 
which in the time period would have been a very prestigious title. Yeah. And she goes through her own tragedy and her own stressors and portrays kind of weird psychopathies throughout her life. Mm -hmm. But they were taught to her. And so reading about that, the psychology of how this woman probably went from a child of what was it 12 that she was sent off to get married yeah yeah she didn't get married until I think she was 14 but she was um she was sent to her in-laws home to learn the ways of of the area yep which is traumatizing 12 year olds shouldn't be sent off to be groomed to get married in any way but here we are having her mother-in-law teach her how to treat her slaves and her mm-hmm. house her handmaids and her housekeepers and the people who make the world work around her mm-hmm. and it's atrocious yeah. and watching atrocious. when i when i first got sucked in i had to go down my own rabbit hole of uh <laughs> countess bathory and i probably could spend the entire day or this entire weekend <laughs> reading about her and learning everything about her because it's yeah. it's insane. You don't normally hear of women who are murderers, mm-hmm. especially to this sort of uh, capacity. Like that's a notoriously high amount of humans. Yeah, that she's just vanished. One of the biggest serial killers in history, in ever that I can. And yeah. and it was like it was one of those things where I read that first line and I'm like, that's not right. <laughs> There's no way. And so I'm like, okay, I'm going to read this first line and then I'm going to go like check it. Not because I didn't believe it, but because it just it sounds crazy. Yeah. It's such yeah. a high number. But back in that time period, nobody would ask questions because mm-hmm. everybody was struggling. Everybody was having, was needing something or had too many children and couldn't provide for them all or was hoping to have it become a lucrative thing or to marry off their child mm-hmm. for a better life. And then they were just gone forever. Yeah. And I didn't weave as much into this, uh, into the, in the book as I could have, but the the parents of some of these missing and murdered girls did try to, um, you know, uh, tell, I forget who the, the person they would talk to was, mm-hmm. but they, they did try to raise awareness about what was happening. They tried to get her investigated and no one listened to them because they were poor, of which course. is horrible. And, you know, things only changed once she started killing rich girls, mm-hmm. which, you know, is such an injustice. And is unfortunately just how it is today. Yep. Yep. That is, I think that is the most painful part of this story. Not that the rest of it isn't painful and tragic, but the most upsetting and like viscerally like angering thing about this book is you could just be talking about today mm-hmm. yeah you look at you know the the news coverage that's given to you know wealthy white girls who go missing mm-hmm. versus you know women and girls of color who go missing or are murdered and it's just so ridiculously skewed and unfair and it makes me think of um 
the Atlanta child murderers back in the 60s, maybe. I don't exactly remember. But um, right when serial killing was starting to be a nationally or internationally seen situation and how young black boys were being murdered or going missing and nobody cared about it. <laughs> and it it took it took the mothers of those children to sit there and fight and fight and fight until somebody listened because at the same time white girls were going missing. And it is painfully upsetting that humans aren't given and treated the same across the board. It doesn't matter who you are or where you come from. Nobody deserves to be murdered. Mm-hmm. For sure. And yeah, I, I hope this book will remind people of that. You, yeah. Those Hopefully are the kinds no one of, forgets it. I know, right? We shouldn't have to remind you that people don't deserve mm-hmm. to die. Yes. Um, Speaking of the different voices that exist in your book, how did you choose or determine whose voice was what versus when it was a choral voice? Um, It really grows out of research. And I wasn't able to find much research really about individual victims of Countess Bathory. Mm -hmm. So... I just had to look into the time period and what were the kinds of things that girls would be doing during that time? What sorts of um, uh, trades would they be practicing? Um, What sorts of arts might they be um, playing with? And once I found those things, I started crafting characters around them. Okay. And... um, yeah, I, I just wanted to to bring a more personal touch to the story. So, um, you know, as I said before, just so so we could feel the the individual losses as well as the collective loss. And I wish there had been more research about some of her victims. As I mentioned, I don't know if you've gotten to this point, but there's one part in the book where I talk about how not many of them were named during the trial. Yeah. And there were just a couple like the... The Sitki girl, I think, was was killed for um, stealing a pear from the orchard. Mm-hmm. And so I had, you know, just a couple of little little windows into who these girls and women were. And then I just had to, to craft them more fully out of further research. So was there any, aside from the, the girl who stole the pear, was there any actual evidence of like who was lost or was are they just like lost in history they're pretty much lost in history yeah it's they're only um only a few girls were named and mostly the wealthier ones of course because why would anybody care about the poor girl who was very good at embroidery and needed to help her family by embroidering for the castle Mm -hmm. that's incredibly painful and it is it is is very astonishing to watch the description that you have of her finding out that her husband died in battle um and her kind of spiral downward from there Mm -hmm. is 
so um, vivid. It was so easily for easy for me to picture her going from this woman who was probably not polite or kind in any way to her help mm-hmm. and watching her devolve almost immediately from there. Yeah. How she was always yeah. a little bit weird, but after her husband died, <laughs> everything changed. Yeah, yeah. And that's that seems to be what really happened just from the research that his death seemed to trigger something in her and she she just started her brutal rampage after that and you know as you said she had not been kind before that she had she had been hurting the the women who worked for her the girls and women but had never turned to murder until i think she felt this kind of murderous grief inside her um although i i i don't know if i fully understand her motivations at this point. I don't know if anyone really does. I think it's a mix of that wild grief um, combined with what she had been taught, combined with perhaps mental illness and maybe just um, abuse of her own power. And yeah, but that the death definitely sent her over the edge. Everybody had, all of these horrible people and all of these people who are, able and capable of these insane crimes have some sort of trigger everybody does Mm -hmm. whether it's a rejection or a or a death or a loss or a whatever at some point everything is just no longer internalized and is externalized um right now you see a huge surge of um true crime shows on all kinds of different things because Uh even 500 years later everyone's like why would anybody do this? How, what is, mm-hmm. explain me, explain to me why you think it's okay to remove somebody from this planet. Mm-hmm. And I, maybe I'm a little bit obsessed with that kind of psychopathy, <laughs> um, whatever that says about me. But I do, like on my way here, I was listening to a true crime podcast. Um, shout out to my favorite murder because, you know, they're like the biggest women in podcasting right now. Um, I've heard good things about that podcast. I haven't listened to it yet. It is, uh, in it, they talk about these horrible things and share with the world other people, women, children, men, anybody who has been silenced by these insane people, by these mm-hmm. people who have all of their own traumas. And they talk about it in a way that is, um, easy to not easy, but it is, um, more welcome to the ears like it's not just facts Mm -hmm. it's facts with people who from people who care Mm -hmm. so and I got I kind of get that from your book I kind of get that same sort of like there was so much feeling and energy put into the way that you gave voices to these women who have died that it, it 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 it's inspiring and it is exactly up my alley. And it, it, was really, it was really interesting because I, I work with lots of books and I continue to learn new things and um, experience new things with the job that I'm in. But this book sucked me in instantly, instantly. And I'm like, mm, this is my book. Cool. This is mine now. <laughs> 
that means so much because this is kind of a scary book to put out in the world. It's very different from any of my other books. And, you know, it covers some really tough, intense stuff. And I was thinking it's just going to scare everyone away and I will become, um, <laughs> you know, just a pariah the, of the sorts of much confusion <laughs> and <Yeah>. um, anger. <laughs> and, um, well, I don't think that well, there are always going to be people who have something to complain about. Yeah. I yeah, and... <laughs> I think that your book is going to speak to a lot of women and men and whoever in this day and age who have experienced traumas of their own and have experienced being silenced for whatever reason, whether it's mm-hmm. you're too young or you're too fat or you're too ugly or you're too pretty or whatever it is, because mm-hmm. it's always something. Everybody has experienced being silenced yeah and I think that somebody putting in as much effort as you did and as much energy into giving women and girls who have been silenced a voice is going to inspire so many people and it it is entirely not what I expected the book to be (laughs) I wasn't sure where it was gonna go when I first got it and when I when I finally started to get into it and fall down the rabbit hole of Countess Bathory, it is more perfect than I could have ever imagined. Oh, well, thank you. And I, um, I can't, like, I don't even have words to explain how touching it is to hear stories of these girls who in history don't even exist anymore. Yeah. They were all people, they were all there, and she sure, as shit, pardon my language, buried (laughs) three girls in a box and told people not to talk about it. Yeah. And it's baffling. It is. It's heartbreaking, and it feels, um, yeah, like I've been entrusted with their voices in a way, and that feels like an honor to to be able to bring forth these voices all these centuries later. And when I start worrying about how people react to it, I go back to my intention for it, that I'm not writing it to, to you know, inflict gratuitous violence upon anyone. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm writing it to give these girls and women justice. And I think sometimes we need to look at hard things um, to be able, like I've said before, just to, to change the world (laughs) and traditionally just in my life it used to be really hard for me to look at hard stuff I used to you know try to turn off the radio when it was on a positive word instead of a negative word when I was younger (laughs) yeah um you know or I would just you know walk away from from painful stories of course and I think you know part of it is just growing older and understanding more about the world that I've been able to to look at hard things more but I think also my mom's really brutal death um kind of took off whatever blinders I may have had on about the the pain of the world yeah and I I've just felt like I have this responsibility to not look away from hard things and um and that when I do share hard stories I feel like it's important to share the full devastation of it so we can feel the real grief of it and feel the real horror of it. But I also want to, um, 
to provide a sense of hope through that too, that we don't have to just be stuck in that painful place, that we can use our voices and, to make a and that, yeah, yeah. And I think your book does exactly that. I think that traversing the girls who are going through life in who some of them, oh gosh, the heart, the part where you talk about these girls going through, like getting to this castle and they're these girls who've experienced nothing but abuse at home or (laughs) being impoverished and not being able to eat. And they're coming in and they're seeing, I think the biggest picture, like the most vivid picture was um, the bowls of pomegranates and piles of cake, which is exactly what it would have been like. And it, it, everything about that was like, yes, this is how it looks. This is what it is. There are bowls of fruit in the castle, whereas in the villages, there's gruel if they're lucky. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, and how they had, you know, this this real sense of hope when they first arrived at the castle that they were introduced to this world they didn't know. And it seemed exciting and new and... Um, you know, like they were stepping up in the world and that makes what happens all the more devastating. And it is incredibly painful to think that that is still happening today, that there are still women who feel like they need to be purchased and sold to benefit themselves or who Mm -hmm. are being told or being lured with visions of wealth or visions of health or love even. Mm-hmm. And end up in the most abhorrent situations that could possibly exist. Yeah. And yeah. it's happening everywhere. Yes. Yes. I, um, I've been really heartened to see signs in bathrooms at airports and things like that that have hotlines for... Um, girls and women, and I don't know if these are in the men's bathrooms as well, because you know certainly it's it's a an issue with boys too. Um, Cross genders that that there are numbers that people can call if they are being sex trafficked um, or you know dealing with other forms of abuse. Of I abuse, feel like yeah. there there are more res- resources now that are visibly available yep. to help people out of those situations, but. Um, but still, of course, they're not as visible as, as they need to be, because I don't know if, um, you know, people have access to phones or other ways of getting out of these horrible situations. And to say that in 2020, which is a year that I'm still not convinced is real, (laughs) uh, we are still having to combat problems and the same sort of violence towards women girls young people anybody actually it's not just stuck to them mm-hmm. we're still dealing with problems that existed 500 years ago you would think in a day and age where we have electric cars phones and computers that fit in our pockets people talking on podcasts like this that we would be able to function in a way where we weren't murdering young people or any people to for that matter. But, you know, our technology only does so much, right? Mm-hmm. But I think it's important to keep talking about it because 
I think that that is how we will reach people and ultimately make changes, even if they're incremental. I think any any change for the better um, is a good thing. And I think, yeah, just creating more spaces for awareness and for discussion. breaking silences, yep. discussion. Um, it's also important because it's harder for uh, abuse to exist when it's being talked about. Of course, when people are aware of it. But mm-hmm. my uh, favorite catchphrase in my life is baby steps. Yes. Some One step, whether it's big or small, it's something. It's a change in a direction that we didn't have before. And I think mm-hmm. that a lot of there are a lot more books and pieces of art like this one that discuss this incredibly painful topic of being silenced um, out in the world today that it will hopefully embark. There will be more discussions like ours. There will be more people talking about the insanely high number of indigenous women who keep going missing and nobody's doing anything about it. Or the unknown number of children and runaways that just disappear off the face of the planet and nobody hears from them again. Mm -hmm. And hopefully one day we'll know that number and it'll be zero. I hope that that's something that happens in my lifetime, but who knows? I mean, we're talking about something that happened 500 years ago and it's still a painful thing today. Mm -hmm. The closer we can get to zero, the better. Baby steps. (laughs) Okay, Gail. Well, tell me, when is this book coming out? It's coming out on Valentine's um, Day, right? It officially comes out on Valentine's Day. So I've been calling it my bloody Valentine. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Taking it back to other history. (laughs) It has been shipping out already, though. So people have been receiving their copies. um, And I've been hearing from readers, which has been amazing. Good. Um, So it's, it's trickling its way into the world. Well, I am very excited to have this book come out. I'm very excited to share it with my friends and with anybody who will listen. I hope that it is received with open arms and as well as I have received it. Well, I'm so grateful. Thank you so much. And I'm I'm so grateful for the time you took to talk to me about it. And I am thrilled that you, you had the time. Thank you so much, Gail, for My for coming and talking to me about many restless concerns. The victims of Countess Bathory speak in chorus. I can't wait to see how it does. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Goodbye. <laughs>